It is, let's see, Wednesday, the 4th of April, 2018, and this is the promotional Malpractice Live Chat. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host of this program. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. As always, please give the video a like and subscribe to the channel below because today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot for you. This will be this live chat here. Then later on, we're going to be at the press conference for MMA Fighting will be. Then after that, there's going to be workouts. MMA Fighting will be there for that as well. So there's a lot going on today. Keep it locked to this channel. As for today's podcast, you guys know what we'll normally do here. We'll talk about, let's see, the latest and greatest in mixed martial arts. UFC 223 is this weekend. We'll talk about that. Canelo Triple G is this weekend. We'll talk about that. Well, what am I saying? It was canceled this week. We'll talk about that. Um, and uh, yeah, Bellator 196, a whole lot's going on. A whole lot's going on. Best place to get your questions in is going to be where this window is embedded on MMAfighting.com. Uh, um, couple, couple of updates. So remember how like the tech was terrible? The audio and the video was terrible last week. So we had a Comcast outage in our neighborhood and it fried my router because I went to, after that show i was like what's up with the thing and i tried to upload a, a four gigabyte video which i have gigabit internet speed so it should take about like 15 minutes give or take and it took three hours i was like uh something's wrong so i called a technician and uh we're back up to speed so when i go back home all that has been fixed apologies for that but the audio was so bad i just couldn't upload it uh as for today uh, as you can see i've got a bit of a different filter on i'm just trying out some new things on this camera uh, i am in uh, sirius xm so uh, I'm in one of their pods. It is hot as balls in here, and I will definitely start sweating. Shouts to Pete Rubish um, for all of his many accomplishments, and shouts to you guys for watching. Okay? All right. So without further ado, as I start sweating like a whore in church, let's get this going, shall we? All right. First up. Let's see here. What do we have? Hi, Luke. No doubt that this fight is great. Talking about Holloway versus Habib. What do we have here? They cowling me. No doubt that this fight is great, but I really don't like the timing of it. If Holloway wins, he becomes the lightweight and featherweight champion. Two of the busiest divisions, and this makes things very complicated in every scenario. Max being allowed to defend both, vacate featherweight or lightweight bouts. Max is great, but I don't think even he will cut more weight than he has to, and this will bring problems back to the now surging featherweight division. If he loses, it will detract from the almost perfect storyline of the 12-fight win streak, uh, Max defending his belt against the undefeated finishing machine in Ortega for Habib at this point. I don't want to see him fight unless it's against Ferguson, but this seems unlikely now as Dana said he will never make the fight again, which is true uh, and extremely depressing. Excuse me, depressing. Still, if he loses, it heavily detracts from a potential fight with Tony and would kill almost any chance of a fight with Connor. If he wins, I guess that's the best possible option for the lightweight division. The possible aftermath of the fight gives me a lot of apprehension. What are your thoughts? Wow. Great first question and quite a bit to unpack there. So let's see if we can try uh, and, and do this. All right, a couple of things. Number one, there's no doubt about it that one of the things that no one is really focusing on is the fact that there is a lot to be concerned about with this bout. The reason why no one is focused on it, all the concerns you raise are valid, is because it's an emergency situation, right? It's one thing in January to plan DC versus Stipe and have two divisions cross over, um, particularly one where there's not necessarily at the time that the fight was made a ton of obvious 
and interesting challengers for a wide portion of the public. So you just set it up down the line and you say, well, okay, you know, we'll figure things out down the line. Those guys can fight and, and DC's retiring at some point soon. So, you know, there's ultimately all these things will have some kind of resolution. As you guys know, I have deep apprehension about champion versus champion fights, not against them as a rule, but that they should be selective with them. Um, and if you're going to do them, as I mentioned, the DC CPA one is about the most palatable that you can do. All, all the concerns you raise here are totally valid. What if he wins? What if he wins and then he gets injured, Max Holloway? What's going to happen with the Brian Ortega fight? Can he reasonably defend both belts? Will Brian Ortega take a back seat? Because Connor is going to be up next in line, the first champ champ versus the second champ champ. Um, Tony Ferguson, by the way, has been, turned out to be, uh, I mean, I can't believe people are harassing this poor guy. Talk about a guy who lost everything, everything, everything with this one. Um, it's a terrible scenario, but just it, it really, if you're the UFC, this is the first big event of the year. I mean, I know you could say the cyborg fight maybe was, but whatever, it's good. It's guy. It's not really, uh, this is really the first big one. This is the marquee weight class. Habib Nurmagomedov is, or at least was prior to the Tony withdrawal situated to become maybe the next big star in MMA. He already is a sort of burgeoning star, not really his native Russia, but you can just sort of see there's a lot of online buzz building about the guy. And um, this was a big event for the UFC. Is in a big major market. They, they just had to call an audible here, and I don't discount any of the challenges that a Max Holloway victory raises, but I'm not sure what they were supposed to do. I'm not sure really what they could have done. I'm not sure how any of that could have given Tony's late withdrawal what they really were supposed to do, just burn an event. I mean, there could have been real consequences to that or to put up another event that nobody would want to see or a fight that Habib wouldn't take or something. They had to find a way to keep this alive, and they had to rob Peter to pay Paul to an extent, although Holloway didn't have a fight scheduled right away. But this is just an emergency scenario. These are far from ideal. Again, I, I don't know what to tell you about the problems you raise other than what were they supposed to do as an alternative. Now, the one thing that was kind of interesting to me, I tweeted it out, and people were like, well, yeah, of course. But really, think about it for a second. I was told by a very reliable source that Nate Diaz was not, not, offered an opportunity to fill in against Habib Nurmagomedov. Now, you can say what you want. He wouldn't deserve a title shot, coming off of a loss. Um, again, it's not that I'm making a strong argument that he deserved a title shot, but at least it would keep everything in the family of lightweight. There are some reasons to think you could have done it. I don't think a, a Diaz lost to Nurmagomedov because I would favor Nurmagomedov pretty heavily in that contest. Um it wouldn't, again, you, you set up a beat for a fairly straightforward victory. And then, uh, and then, uh, you didn't mess with another division in the process. And people are like, well, yeah, of course you did. He would just turn it down. Well, would he? I mean, at the right price, would he? I, I, I don't know that that's so true. To me, it doesn't, it's not, it's not an obvious thing that they would not even ask him. Um, and he, would be a bet in some ways would be a better choice than others. Again, giving a title shot to a guy who meritocratically has no claim to it would also be a problem. I'm just pointing out it would solve some of the concerns that you have about this, but make no mistake about it. These are all real. I think we're all just trying to keep our heads above water here. Um, the UFC spent all that money trying to put this together and it blew up in the last week. They're just trying to find something that keeps the event afloat, that keeps it interesting. There are some reasons both to be pessimistic about Saturday as well as optimistic. They're just trying to do the best that they can. So um, 
we are going to live with a mess if Max wins is basically the long and short of it. And that's that's not that's not great, but at least they have moved on well, whatever your perception is, at least they're not gonna triple down on a DJ TJ fight, which some of you might would prefer to see, but I'm just saying now that you're gonna have this one, it kind of is good they're not doing that one, only because having three of those would be just a mess. So yeah, dude, it, it's going to get real in the field. So to your point, the, the 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 what I'm worried about is one: if Max wins that. Number two, what I'd be worried about is if Max takes a sustained beating over a long period of time. We haven't seen one of these in a while in mixed martial arts, but I remember the the last one I really saw that changed a guy, and I, I believe that the beating that Rich Franklin gave David Loazzo um, irreparably damaged him. He, I don't, I don't think he ever really was the same after that. Not to say he was a bad fighter after that, but was he what he was before? You could make a very strong argument that that's not the case. I worry that if Holloway is so unprepared that he goes in there and just gets completely overwhelmed, which you cannot discount as a absurd possibility, um, something terrible could happen, and he could be altered. Um, I don't. I don't see that as somehow um, unreasonable thought as well. So, look, they're gambling. They're gambling, and they're gambling because they have to, because everything that they had tried to create just absolutely fell apart, and you have to make very tough decisions as a consequence. And this is the one they made. So, we're gonna see. We're gonna see what happens here with this one. It is going to get interesting, to put it mildly. Um, yeah. Wow. Someone says Aldo should have waited. Excuse me, Aldo should have taken it. He has nothing to lose. Yeah, but who wants to see? I mean, I guess people want to see Aldo versus Habib, given that Aldo has really good takedown defense. Uh, but I don't know. And then someone's noting about Connor stepping in. Let's talk about Connor not stepping in. I don't know how you can be mad at Connor for not stepping in. I mean, I don't even know if he was offered the opportunity, but even if he was, he would be very foolish to take it. Look, in some ways, Max Holloway is either foolish to take it or um, this is a bit of a waste of his talents, right? We would get Habib, Max, maybe sometime down the road. They got to burn that now to keep this alive. So that's not great either, but it'd be really bad to do that with Conor McGregor. Really bad. They would be burning money. They might as well just go and set money on fire if they were going to do that. It's not that they wouldn't make money with Conor McGregor doing that, but the amount they would leave on the table with a six-day buildup, potentially if he's not even ready and he gets mollywopped, you don't want to see Conor versus Habib rushed. You want to see Conor versus Habib or, conversely, Conor versus Max, Max ends up winning with a full camp, ready to go, properly promoted that is what they need they cannot mess with that i totally understand the ufc not even trying to entertain that idea and and mcgregor does not deserve any grief for not stepping up and i know people go out there and they say oh well he tweeted stay ready or staying ready or always stay ready or whatever he tweeted who cares who cares i got a really helpful piece of advice for you guys fighters are going to say a lot either on social media or at press conferences or after fights, or in media interviews, and I'm not telling you to wholly discount them, but just don't hold them to it very strenuously. Because it's not that they're necessarily lying, although some might be. It's not that. It's that they just can't possibly keep up and maintain the rhetoric that they tell us and each other. It's not realistic, and it never is. And I don't watch it for that, and I don't believe it half the time anyway. 
the thing you need to pay attention to is the larger circumstance of uh, what's happening, right? Uh, is the larger circumstance of um, what are the real incentives and the incentive structures in place here? And how does that fit? And what can we say about that? And pretty clearly here, not in the UFC's interest to burn that given the opportunity cost and McGregor coming in on six days notice and Max coming in six days. I mean, nothing about this is ideal, but with a guy like McGregor, you would be wasting, wasting so much money. Let me see if I can fix this filter here real quick. Like as we, let's see, there we are a little bit better, right? A little bit fixed. Uh, someone says, I get that why Connor didn't, but I could see a scenario where he steps in and comes out looking great, win or lose. Yeah, I could see a lot more where he comes out looking real bad and the UFC wastes money or does not you know, they might make X when they could have made 10 or 20 X. Would you want to make X given those circumstances? I don't think so. Uh, but I just see so many people being like, well, that's what he tweeted. What happened? Check, check, check. Yeah, it's working. People are watching. Uh, let's see. Holloway's legacy. All right. Max can pull off being the first man to beat Habib. Where does this put him? Excuse me. Where does this put his still very, very young legacy? Obviously, he would be, excuse me. Obviously, he would have had a lot of time to add it, uh, add to it. But being only the second guy to hold two titles in the same uh, at the same time alone is impressive. Doing on six days notice is even more so. Yeah, I mean, this is a crazy... I, I don't, we're, there's not enough discussion about this happening currently in the sport. Y'all realize that if Max wins, we're talking about an all-time great performance in the history of the UFC. I mean, let's consider what's happening here. He could not compete just last month because of a foot injury. So he, he's, he'd be rushing a timeline to come back because I believe he said he was supposed to get surgery this month to fix it. Now he's just blowing that off. So he'd be coming under those circumstances. He'd be taking on Habib Nurmagomedov, who is maybe the best talent that Lightweight's ever seen. I said maybe, not definitively, but certainly he's up there. Um, he'd be jumping up a weight class and doing it all on six days' notice and becoming a two-time champ in the process. I mean, this is an absurd level of achievement if he can get it. It would be one of the greater wins in the history of the sport. I don't know how anyone could argue with that. Now, that's a tall order, and frankly, I don't find it very likely. My hunch is that Habib should win this. How should I say this? It's his fight to lose is the way I would put it, right? But, um, but yeah, if he wins, you know, you're talking about, God, I mean, it's hard to call him one of the all-time greats because there's still so much work on the in-between space that he would have to do. But in terms of single-fight achievements – that would be right up there with one of the very, 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 very best ever in the sport, in my judgment. I don't know. I mean, to, to defeat Nurmagomedov, period, is difficult. To defeat him coming up a weight class, even more difficult. To defeat him coming up a weight class um, with an injury is, uh, how can you do it? And to do it even more than that on six days' notice? I mean, could the deck be more stacked against him? It, it's insane. It's insane. So if he beats him... The legacy issue is still a little bit unresolved because we'd have to just see what, what else he could do. Uh, remember, the weight cut to 145 does drain him, and those are guys down there are very, very good. Brian Ortega still presents a very legitimate challenge to him. However, single fight achievements, 
that might be your number one. It's if very much, if not number one, in the discussion. I, I, I would have a hard time picking, let's say, five better than that one. So it says, if Max wins, must we label Lightweight as the weakest division despite general perception, including Luke? No, that'd be absurd. It would be the second time in a row that a smaller guy from a division below steps in to become champion. Never happened before, as I remember. Uh, well, Couture retired from light heavyweight and then came back and won at heavyweight. Two champions with combined records of 2-0 and in lightweight. Luke, if it happens, what would be your take on the notion you and many others defended several times that lightweight is the best division? It would not change at all. It would merely just show how special Max Holloway is. What division could you possibly say is better than lightweight? Lightweight is not merely good in the UFC. It is good globally. Any, uh, Virtually any organization that airs on television that has, let's say, 10 fighters at lightweight will have 10 very solid fighters. This is the point I made about Max Holloway and his takedown defense. The reason you can say Habib Nurmagomedov has good takedowns other than identifying individual techniques that he employs and understanding the significance of those is not because Edson Barboza has bad takedown defense. It's because Edson Barboza has good takedown defense. Edson Barboza stopped all but four of 13 attempts. He actually stopped the majority of them. It just didn't matter in the end. All he needed was the four, and he got him to the floor. But you say that because in the previous eight fights, Edson Barboza had stopped 16 of 17 takedowns. Guys at lightweight are the sweet spot of MMA. They are physically big enough to cause serious striking damage. They're quick. They're agile. They are plentiful in number. Their participatory rate is significantly higher. Um, they can draw upon high-level achievement in other sports. Like, for example, Habib Nurmagomedov and his accolades in Sambo. Um, there's all kinds of reasons you would like them. They're good at jiu-jitsu. They're good at wrestling. They're good at striking. They're good at boxing. Um, they're good at, 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 at sort of the physical side of MMA as well as the finesse. The lightweight division is incontestably the best. Max beating one of the better guys in that division doesn't change that. It merely tells you that his achievement would be otherworldly, Right? If if uh, the Warriors end up losing to LeBron James's hobbled Cleveland Cavaliers, it's not because the the Warriors were somehow a shit team. It's because LeBron would let's say, and as he did, put the team on his back and raise his game to a level of otherworldly greatness. That's what we're talking about here. For all the reasons I mentioned, there's just no other division like lightweight. Featherweight's getting there. Welterweight, pretty close. Bantamweight has some interesting talent at the top, but nobody, nobody. There's no division that even comes close to lightweight, not, not, not even a little bit. And what's also interesting about them is you can turn those guys in. They're just big enough to market them as potential pay-per-view stars. Um, it's the best division of mixed martial arts by a country mile. It would not challenge that at all. It would merely raise Holloway to a level of, of absurd, and, and in that case, if you can get it done, deserve proportion. Not that there's some kind of fraudulence happening. I don't know why people keep doing this with MMA. I made the point about Max Holloway's takedown defense. Everyone's like, well, Max Holloway, he doesn't have good takedown defense. You're, you're high. You're high. There is no, I'm not saying this person asking that is saying that. What I am saying is there is no person who can make a sober, informed judgment about his takedown defense and say anything other than it's excellent. It's very, very good. Very good. Eight fights and not a single person could take him down. I spoke to Paul Felder yesterday. He thought that was incredible. By the way, another lightweight. 
he found that to be incredible. But as everyone notes, Habib's level of takedown ability and his control on top and his devastation through passing, ground to pound, and submission attempts is second to none, basically, in terms of that portion of the game. Again, Habib's takedowns are good, not because he gets them on shit guys. It's because he gets them on very good guys. Turns out Javel Dos Anjos has very good wrestling, just not good enough to stop someone like Habib. Edson Barboza has very good takedown defense, just not against somebody who's, you know, next level at all this kind of stuff. And I agree, it is a virtual certainty that Nurmagomedov is going to get Max Holloway to the floor, but that doesn't mean that Max has bad takedown defense. BJJ Scout put up a post about this. You can individually pinpoint all the things he does, the wizard, hand control, stopping any kind of gripping with the hands. He's very good about getting his stance at the side. He has excellent distance management. He's very good about not backing up in straight lines. Excellent footwork, excellent lateral movement. He's very good at throwing on submissions, including guillotines, which he did in the Swanson and the Lamas fight. Um, I don't know if he did it too much against Jeremy Stevens, who, by the way, failed on 12 takedowns against him. Um, it's just very clear. Anybody who knows anything about even a little bit, just a little bit about wrestling and takedown defense can clearly look at Max Holloway and say, that guy is very, very good at this. Is he the best in the UFC? No, probably not. Um, is he even the best at featherweight? De remains to be seen. But is it incontestably, like we're grading it at an elite level? Where is it? It's an A. It's an A. It's just Habib Nurmagomedov might be Stephen Hawking A+, plus, something like that, right? Which I know Stephen Hawking is never the best comparison to make when we're talking about physicality, but just follow me. You know what I'm trying to say. Okay, we don't have to denigrate others to build others up. Others aren't good because others are bad. Nurmagomedov is good because he beats other good fighters. Right, that's how this works. Lightweight's not bad if Holloway wins. It's just that Holloway would be able to, on that night, ostensibly, unless Nurmagomedov is badly injured or something, raise his game to an absurd level. But there is, at this point, almost decades of evidence to suggest, without much consternation here, lightweight is by far, by far, your best division. By far. Not up, not up, a little bit up for debate when you want to talk welterweight or maybe like a burgeoning featherweight or something, but that's about it. To me, it's crystal clear. And in fact, I spoke with UFC analyst Jimmy Smith. I have a technique talk coming out about this, and we discussed that very fact, and he agrees 10,000%. Lightweight, that's where it's at. Um... Luke. Oh, wait, here we go. Okay, sorry. Uh, okay. Jordan Breen. Yeah, I heard this yesterday and I couldn't believe it. Yesterday, Jordan Breen announced that he is no longer part of Sherdog.com. As a longtime listener of his show and Sherdog, this disappoints me. What's going on with MMA media lately? Well, probably a couple of things. Uh, as the business contracts uh opportunities for employment are probably going to contract um not you know i don't know how the if the sport is not as big as it was in 2016 there's going to be some inevitable um contraction in that regard all of it regrettable but some of it unavoidable that's sort of my sense about the first part of it the second part of it is no one in mma media is talking about it because i think everybody just feels bad but i don't mind talking about it the the folks who 
there's a case to be made that the way in which the ownership handled the uh, management of SureDog.com, that they horribly mismanaged it. Um, how, you need to understand like what SureDog was. And I used to write for them very briefly, in, in part thanks to, to Jordan Breen. Uh, SureDog.com was, uh, at its peak, whatever year you want to call it that, was a pillar of MMA fandom. You know, to be honest, they had a store, they had forums, they had the Fight Finder, and they had some of the best talent in MMA media for a time. It was Jack Incarnasau, TJ DeSantis, Jordan Breen, you know, for a while, Loretta Hunt, Josh Gross, um, Jake Rawson. You guys might not remember him, but he was a big part of that site. And they were just the kings. And if you if you wanted to either participate in media, you wanted to be at SureDog.com, this is the days before MMA fighting was really around, you know. And if you wanted to um, catch breaking news or the best on-site reporting or, you know, Tachi Palace fights, anything, you had to do it through SureDog.com. The decline and and ultimately, if Jordan Breen is there, it's probably the demise at this point, I would say, of SureDog.com uh, is tragic. It's tragic. That is That was a true pillar of MMA fandom that has, I think, through mismanagement, totally withered away. And it breaks my heart. Um because yes, everyone in MMA media is in business, but nobody wants to see, you know, a site go belly up, and particularly one that served such a historically important purpose. Um, you know, we live in a world where things fall apart, and I understand that. I think we all do to some extent, but it was heartbreaking to hear that because it's not just him. TJ DeSantis is going. By the way, they didn't just have, you know, good writers or editors like Jordan. They had good photographers like Dave Mandel, and he got the axe a while ago too. Anybody who was, and then the guy who originally owned it, Jeff Sherwood, uh, you know, they all got the axe, and and they just slowly bled it dry. And, uh, you know, it really breaks my heart, man. It really does. I have very fond memories of SureDog.com. I know who they were at their peak when they had the relationship with ESPN, and they were just doing things that nobody else either everybody wanted to do it, but nobody could but them. Um, you know, time moves on. I'm very proud to be and very thankful to be part of a company like Vox Media, and I mean this sincerely. They have not one, not two, but three major sites, all with very different kinds of coverage of, of uh, mixed martial arts. And I feel very blessed to be a part of this company, and I feel very honored that um, they believe in mixed martial arts and combat sports generally, more generally, enough to, to invest in them. And I'm very lucky in that regard. Same thing here at SiriusXM. I'm very lucky to have that opportunity. I think about that every day. Um, but it's it, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to be to be completely candid. And then there's another question about Jordan Breen. Jordan Breen, let's be very clear about this. One of the greater minds, and if not one of the f top few uh, in all of mixed martial arts media, uh, able to think through stories very interestingly, a unique perspective, brilliant. Uh, I did the panel with him. It was me, him, uh, Rami Genauer from Fightmetric, and Dominic Cruz, all of us on stage together at MIT talking about uh, stats and mixed martial arts. And I think I got that invite in part because of Jordan, if, I'm, if I can recall correctly. You know, any site would be lucky to have him. Any media outlet would be lucky to have him. I hope somehow he finds a way to get picked up um, because he deserves to be. And we... We are worse off as a sport the longer he is not fully participating in it. And I can say that very clearly without any 
hesitation. Jordan is brilliant and deserves and clearly merits some kind of opportunity. It's just there are very few and far between in this sport, and you got to get them where you can. So I'll do anything on my on my part that I can to help them. And I know a lot of other people in media feel that way. And um, here's to hoping that this has a positive outcome in the end. But the collapse of Sherdog.com is tragic. Tragic. Right. UFC rankings today versus the time of no rankings. With certain UFC contenders having trouble getting fights booked and breaking into the top five like Usman, it got me thinking. Would John Jones have gotten a UFC title shot at the current UFC ranking system after beating Ryan Bader? At the time, Bader was just coming off of his marquee top 15 win over Little Nog, which would, in today's system, make him a ranked somewhere around 8 to 10 uh, contender, if I had to guess. Jones was coming off of a win over Matt Yushchenko. Is the current system holding back better matchmaking? Does it also restrict the natural ability for stars to be born? I don't know about the latter part. In fact, I would tend to tend to say stars can be born in a number of ways. Like even in a tournament system, you can get somebody to move through a tournament and they can have like a memorable performance and everybody thinks that they're the next big thing and they might be. So there's lots of ways to do that. And that and star making takes time. So I don't it's I, it's very much not clear to me how rankings impact that either positively or negatively or any kind of demonstrable way. Um, in any case, the first part, though, is interesting. Would John Jones have gotten a UFC title shot in the current UFC ranking system after beating Ryan Bader? Well, remember, part of that was Evans was supposed to get it and was out. And then by beating Bader and being able to turn around, he was able to do it. So partly he was a beneficiary of his own ability and then circumstance on top of that, um, which is the interesting com component here. Um, in that case, I don't know that the ranking system would have necessarily held him back. Plus, by that time, there was a ton of hype around him. You have to understand that as well. I think he would have been ranked probably a little bit higher. But the question is, does matchmaking hold back certain uh, – excuse me, do, does ranking, do rankings hold back certain fights? And the answer to that is absolutely un uncontestably true. There's a question about what other fights it promotes, but there's no doubt about it, especially in you saw at lightweight and welterweight for a time. Now things are finally picking back up, but these guys who are squatting out there on position, it has absolutely impeded the ability to get the kind of fights that we want to see more meaningfully. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Cerrone is going to be fighting Leon Edwards in Singapore. I want you to think about that for just a second, right? Just, just noodle that through for a moment. Uh, Donald Cerrone who has since rebounded uh, after the loss to Darren Till, still showing he has some vitality left. Nevertheless, is going to take on a completely unheralded, another, after losing to Darren Till, is going to take on another unheralded guy in Leon Edwards, who, by the way, let me be, make no mistake about it. When I say unheralded, I don't say bad. In fact, the opposite. He's a very good fighter. I don't know how many people know his name. And he's going to do it in a faraway place in Singapore, probably on Fight Pass, I'm guessing. Uh, it's shocking. You don't see this kind of compliance at all anymore. And it used to be a bit of the norm. And I understand why guys don't want to do it as much, right? It makes sense that they would be a little bit more reluctant now than they would be in 2005 or 6 or 7 or 8, right? I mean, in some ways, it's a positive development if you're, if you're examining fighter self-interest. 
But in terms of consumer interest, man, you want to talk about last of the freaking Mohicans. It's one thing to say, well, Don Cerrone deserves a lot of credit for going to Poland and fighting Darren Till. Loses badly. Turns around, guess gets a win, and now is going to go back to doing the exact same thing against a very dangerous Leon Edwards in freaking Singapore. I mean, we talk about, I, I, I caution people against overly, um, you know, taking seriously fighter rhetoric. Well, here's a case where you should take it seriously. He absolutely says what he means and does what he says in Cowboy Cerrone. It's, it's just shocking to consider it and so unusual relative to the rest of the sport. Very, very unusual. Um, yeah, sort of a thought I had. Uh, hold on just a second, because they calling me. My phone is just sitting here blowing up as I'm trying to talk to you guys. Um, hold on just a second. Here we are. You guys pumped for Saturday still? Here we are, food from. All right. Okay. So this is another question for rankings. Luke, I've heard you explain recently the proper purpose of rankings and establishing a contendership queue. It makes sense. Always enjoy hearing your thoughts. I'm curious if how that holds true in a specific situation where we have top fighters who have already lost to the current champ twice, guys like Benavidez or Wonderboy. They are number one ranked contenders with great accomplishments, but we all know they won't be getting the next title shot. Are Benavidez and Wonderboy properly ranked? No. No, and neither was Jose Aldo. People keep saying, well, Aldo beat Frankie. Now, Frankie uh, just lost, but the point being is if you are a guy and you've lost twice back-to-back -back in championship fights, your ranking should drop fairly substantially. Maybe you could make a case to keep them inside the top five, but they should certainly be outside the top three orbit because the contendership queue needs to keep moving. And if guys hold position, because at one time they showed, or even a couple times, they were better than somebody else, big effing deal. The question is, who has done enough more recently to, to merit residing towards the top if we're trying to establish who should be next at getting a title shot? That's really the best thing you can, that, that's the only meaningful way you can do it. You know, establishing, of I think X is better than Y in some kind of grand sense doesn't do a lot of good for anybody because that's entirely subjective so, a lot of this is still very subjective in the sense of i think you know someone deserves to be ranked a certain way over another person but but the idea is that it's for a it's for a much more coherent purpose and you lose all of that uh when you try to do it uh, a different way so to your point yes yes i see and and, and ganu wins a bunch of fights which is great then loses to Stipe handily, and he's the number one contender, it's absurd. It's absurd. He clearly does not deserve to be in the top three for that. Not because we're saying he's not a top three heavyweight in some grand sense, which is a different case, but we're saying in terms of meritocratically, who is the next in line? Is it that guy? I don't think it's that guy. It's probably somebody else. Return of Bohashinya. I believe he had a torn bicep, right? So he's out of that. Last-minute opponents. Luke, some guys seem to have a lot of trouble with last-minute opponent changes. Nate Diaz defeated Conor McGregor on a week's notice. Or Ten days, but yes. Luke Rockhold has been beaten twice by last-minute opponent changes. How do you think Habib will do uh, with a late opponent change? Of note, he's also an AKA product. The same as Rockhold. I don't, I don't hold the AKA thing against him. That 
I don't think that has much of a bearing. However, we'll see. I mean, look, the thing about Habib is there are some changes, right? It's not that there's he fights everybody identically. There are different entries they think about. There are different ways in which they want to manage the fight round by round, that change. Um, but it's a relatively straightforward game plan. It's really about getting you along the fence line, taking you down, beginning to work wrist control, back takes, leg rides, ground and pound, flatten you, pressure you, control you, hurt you, uh, twist you, pretzel you, force you into positions that you don't want to be in as an escape mechanism and then pound on you and continue to control you for long periods of time throughout the course of the fight. That's really what he wants to do. And that portion of it doesn't change fight to fight. What takedowns you pick might, how you approach a takedown might, how you manage around might, uh, but it's fairly straightforward in that regard. So it shouldn't trip him up too much. Tony's a very different fighter than Max. I think Tony has a good takedown defense when he wants to use it. Um, and, of course, would have been ready and a bigger guy. Remember, Tony, I believe, has a background in welterweight. Max is the exact opposite. So uh, so there are some questions there. But I don't, I don't suspect it'll trip him up too bad, unless he kind of freezes under the lights, which just feels a little unlikely. Yeah. You never say never, but I wouldn't pick that as a – I wouldn't select that ahead of time as a factor I'd be very concerned about. Fantasy matchups with a twist. If these fighters were the same size based purely on skill, who would you favor in these fantasy matchups? Purely on skill. Okay. Jones versus DJ. That's a tough one. I guess Jones? GSP versus Habib, GSP. Connor versus Machida. Like a prime Machida? Probably Connor, but that's a tough one. Uh, Anderson versus Fedor, Anderson. DC versus Askren, DC. Verdum versus Maya. They're the same size, Maya. Max versus Cruz. Max, probably. Dillashaw versus Kane. God, it's a tough one. That's an impossible one to answer. Um, I'd go Dillashaw, but I don't really know. Cyborg versus Joanna. Joanna. And Yoel versus Habib. The same size? God, they have such different games, though. Um <sighs> I guess Habib, but that's a tough one. What percentage of a chance do you give Max? Someone asks. And what type of shape do you think he is in? Do you think he is this is a money grab for Max, or do you think he believes he can really pull this off? Someone asked me this earlier in the week as well. Like, do you think, do you or do you really think he thinks he can win? Yes. I absolutely do think that in his brain he can win. The question is not whether he thinks he can win or whether he actually will. The question is, is he properly assessing himself? Right? Is he kidding himself? Is he making an appropriate um, self-evaluation? You know, because you can say, "Yeah, I can, I can do that." You know, and then you get there and you're like, uh, "Maybe I wasn't thinking so clearly after the fact." Right? Um, or he knows something that we don't. You know, so so yes, about a percentage chance. I'd say at the very high end. And here's what I mean: that the ankle injury, not that big a deal. Let's just let's just say, let's just say it may, it may in fact be a huge deal, but let's just say not a big deal. Let's say that the weight cut. Again, not great, but not like the sole determinant. 
um, and the weight jumping up, you know, can't really pin it on that, let's say, which are big ifs. Skill for skill, I would give Max at this point at a very high end, 40% chance, which would mean out of 10 fights, he'd win four times, which I realize is very high according to some people. Um, but I just don't know how you can't make Habib the favorite. That that the one to me is like, how is that possible? How is it possible you can look at this and you can say a guy with an injury coming up a weight class, taking on an undefeated fighter who has one of the most dominant skill sets we've ever seen in MMA, at least portion of the skill set anyway, and uh, he's going to come in on six days' notice and and just do something that twenty five other fighters in that weight class couldn't do. Uh, I do think the fight will be compelling for portions of it. I do think that Max, I cannot believe how badly people are just forgetting about what he's done. It's either that you, it's either you, it's either you haven't seen the fights since the McGregor fight. People are like, well, he got taken down by McGregor. Yeah, I mean, if you think, if you look at the tape and you think that's the same guy fighting now as back then, I, I mean, I just don't know what to tell you. It's just an absurd position to argue. Totally indefensible. But it's also, it's also, I, I could be wrong uh, as always, but it seems like a virtual certainty Habib's going to get him down. And how do we know that? He gets everybody down. And if you look at his percentage, his percentage is actually less than 50% in terms of overall takedown accuracy. However, his takedowns per 15 minutes are nearly six, which means he is roughly averaging about two takedowns around. He doesn't get you on his first or second or even sometimes his third attempt, but he gets you. He gets you. And then once he does, it's, it's a wrap for you. And he does that because he's able to not take down chumps he takes down very good fighters, very good takedown defense. And as I mentioned before, he's one of these guys who through determination, strength and size, yes, all of those things. But then on top of that, he can – he uh, go back and watch Max Holloway uh, in his later fights. What you'll notice is he's able to break hands apart, has a high wizard, good hip position, good wide stance, never lets his leg get sucked in in between, really, really good about that. You know, at times threatens the guillotine. But what you'll notice is – when someone pressures him against the fence, especially with that wizard that he has, right? He's real good about keeping somebody at the same level. He doesn't really let a lot of guys level change on him. And when they do, he drops with them and gets to the wide base, all the things you're supposed to do. And 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 people are like, well, Jeremy Stevens and Ricardo Lamas and Cub Swanson, they're no Habib Nurmagomedov. I'm not saying they are. No, Nobody is Habib Nurmagomedov. So, of course, those guys aren't. But those guys aren't chumps either. Um, they're, they're very good fighters, including Ricardo Lamas. All of a sudden, he's not a good wrestler and a good takedown artist. This is just total revision, revisionist history. And the point being is, no, those guys are not Habib, and nor do I ever suggest it. However, they didn't get close to a takedown on him. It wasn't like he had to pop back up or something, or he got taken down but then had a really good recovery position. No, they didn't even get to stage two with the takedowns. They got stuck at stage one every time. Or they, in the case of Lamas, nearly got mounted or nearly got guillotined. So no, those aren't those guys aren't nearly as good. On the other hand, two years ago they couldn't even get close. It, it, the evidence is clear. He has very good takedown defense, but very good, even excellent. Is that enough for Habib? What is Max's most likely path to victory? I get that Habib is the favorite by a large margin, but if Max does get the win, how do you see it happening? A choke off of Habib's initial takedown attempts, a quick KO, accumulated body damage, a couple of things. I think he's going to get, I think it's going to be bad for him early, right? I mean, if look, if Holloway goes a round and a half without getting taken down, that would be amazing, like uh, uh, truly amazing. 
But what I think is more likely to happen is something like an MMA rope-a-dope situation, something like a Frank Shamrock, Tito Ortiz, where Tito Ortiz kind of gassed in that one, so it could be one of those where um, for as long as they stand, because he has good footwork and good movement and can stand switch and position and, and find blind angles, he's going to the body, going to the body over and over again, right? sticking the jab in his face, just really kind of wearing him down, wearing him down before he ultimately gets taken down. And then late in that fight, assuming he has the cardio for it, which, again, is just a giant assumption, in the fourth and the fifth, really pouring it on him when he can um, and then forcing him into bad positions, maybe finishing him with a choke, maybe you know, moving to mount, um, and then and then taking rounds or the fight late. But early, it seems to me, like Habib is probably going to have his way with him. Uh, but that that's sort of what I'm looking for because if Max is competitive early, you know, remember what Max is good about. All the things we talk about, hand control, hip position, wizarding, all, all that stuff. But more than that, what is he good at? What is And I would argue the best in the UFC at this. He is good at making adjustments between rounds. And he can make them during the middle of the round. But in, in that one particular way, he is very much like Mayweather. Mayweather's ability in MMA, excuse me, in boxing, is that between rounds, he just slowly takes the fight away from you. Now, he's got 12 rounds to do it. Max doesn't. So that changes the equation a little bit. But... Um, that is where Max is very good, very good. So if he can bring that to bear and not get beat up too bad in the early rounds and save something for later, that might, that might get interesting. But if he's just getting the doors blown off of him early, you know, it's a bit of a bad sign or, um, conversely, if it's a bad sign for Habib, if he can't get him down in the first round, I think that would be, that would be a problem for him. <laughs> Holloway versus Habib. Boy, all the questions are about this. Hi, Luke. I think we can all agree that a win for Holloway on short notice Saturday night shows that his ceiling is higher than we ever dared to dream. But what would a Holloway win say about Habib? If Holloway wins convincingly, stoppage or clear, uncontroversial decision, how would this change your perception of Habib's chances uh, against the McGregors and the Fergusons of the division and his future title prospects? It depends if he loses, how he loses. Does he get robbed in a terrible judging decision? Again, unlikely, but are we really going to say in MMA those don't happen with a bit of uncomfortable frequency? They do. Um, does he lose that way? Does he, again, does he get totally no-sold on a takedown attempt? Like he just can't get him down like the T-Bow fight, something like that? That would be interesting. Um, what else would it be interesting? If he looked dominant as hell? And then Max Holloway just found a way to like catch him with a, a quick uppercut and then knocked him out or something. How would that change it? You might say, well, that would give me some hope against McGregor, right? It would really all depend on the nature of what the fight looks like and, and the outcome specifically and, and everything else. Um, but sure, if he loses to Holloway, I think partly you'd have to reimagine who Holloway is. But then also, yeah, part of that would be a bit of a market correction on the hype that is currently surrounding Habib. Um, you it would have to go both ways, right? It's here now, and then we'd have to split. So, uh, so we'd be we'd be in that kind of a different position. It is hot as balls in here. All right, let's see. Hold on. All right. Interesting question. I got this one a lot too. 
Do you think Brian Ortega on one week notice has a better shot against Habib than Max Holloway does? Based on the assumption that Max Holloway's fighting style, primarily striking-based and relies on his virtually bottomless cardio, is impaired due to the weight, could T-City's high-level BJJ hold a better chance against Habib on such, such short notice? After all, Habib already mauled several elite strikers in the division with a full camp, but he's never faced a high-level BJJ talent. Someone says, well, okay, again, I don't know why people keep saying these things like he's never done this and he's never done that. A couple of things. Number one, he faced uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, who is not who is excellent at jiu-jitsu, but not what I would call a super ridiculous guard threat, not in the way that uh, Brian Ortega is, but there are not many guys who are like that. So th this is the thing about, I was like saying this, like Max Holloway's never faced a wrestler. Wrong. Max Holloway um, uh, has bad takedown defense. Wrong. Max Holloway, I don't know, pick, pick some other kind of crazy thing, right? Couldn't take down or would, you know, get taken down. Uh, I just, it doesn't have good defense. They just keep like denigrating people in ways that aren't necessary to make the case for the other guy. In fact, you make the case for the other guys. I mentioned by talking about how good the, you heard the whole thing. Um, if you want, if you want to say he's never beaten a super dynamic guard player, that would be true. Um, but this is the one that's kind of interesting to me. Like when you watch Habib move on the ground, it would be interesting. It would be interesting. I can I can understand people's curiosity about it. I can understand people looking at that and saying, you know, what could a guy like Brian Ortega do? He wouldn't stop the takedown, but he would probably get once he was on his back. What would he do? Or would Habib change it up and try to you know strike with him on the feet or in the clinch or try to rough him up against the fence and not really follow to the ground and just you know be a little bit a little bit more hesitant but still get a pretty clean win. You know, Nick Diaz used to have a, and still does, of course, had a really, really, really good guard. And Diego Sanchez was able to get in and out of it uh, back in the day without much issue, and, and won that contest. You know, so so there's that as well. Like sometimes you see these guys with these very good guards, um, like a you know, like a Nick Diaz, and then you see somebody who's just got really, really good dynamic, you know, wrestler based. Um, attacks and defense on top and they can just make a guy's guard look impotent uh i don't know is the answer but i'm like you i would be very curious part of me feels like we'd all be disappointed a little bit because uh happy would get him down and then through his size would just pass or it wouldn't pass but would but avoid the subs and just pound on him over and over and over again or you know, Ortega would keep going for things and going for things and going for things, and they just wouldn't get it. And maybe Habib wouldn't beat him up too bad, but it just wouldn't be. No one would get close, but because Habib would be on top, he would ultimately win the fight. Or part of me feels like, man, maybe there is something to be said for somebody like Brian Ortega having a super awesome guard and causing problems for people. Just remember, Brian Ortega makes it look kind of easy, but sometimes he jumps to guard off of a neck and collar tie-up. Or a guillotine. I realize he does have a good guard. Don't misunderstand me. He has a very good guard. Um, on the other hand, submitting someone high level in MMA from the guard is very difficult. Very difficult. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You do not see many elite guys get submitted um, um, from guard, either in jiu-jitsu or MMA. Very, very rare. You saw it in like someone like Anthony Pettis, Benson Henderson. That's because he hit him with a body shot and then followed up after the fact. Very, very different. Very different. Just straight up submitting a guy like that, it's hard to do. And would he really be able to hurt Habib on the feet? Maybe. What he showed against Frankie was crazy, right? But 
Um, I know some people are like, oh, he'd be a better matchup. I would say a healthier, fully ready Max Holloway would actually be a better matchup versus Habib. But that's not who we have. So I guess we'll have to see. And all these questions are about Max. Max Holloway, greatest of all time. If Max Holloway is able to pull off an upset this weekend, could he be considered as the greatest of all time? No, there's not enough of a body of work. However, as I mentioned, you want to talk about individual performances, this would be very, very close to the top of the list. Also, where would you rank a Holloway win within the biggest upsets in MMA? Man, from an odd standpoint, I don't know. I don't know where I would put mathematically, but in my mind, that might be the biggest. I mean, you want to talk about a mountain this guy has to climb, you know? And again, I think a super healthy one who's ready to go could do some, could make it very compelling. And I'm not counting them out. I'm really not. Um, but that would be top three, top three upsets in my judge. Again, I don't know what the odds would say, but in my opinion, top three upsets. Was Max picked purely because of his vastness? Wait, what? Was Max picked purely because of the vastness a rematch with McGregor would be should he beat Habib? By some miracle, Max pulls off this win and catapults him into the stratosphere from a marketing point of view for both of the hardcores, given how much of a feared beast Habib is, and the casuals, as he is then the holder of McGregor's two belts that he had been stripped of. Or do you think the UFC did not look that far ahead? Instead, they thought it wouldn't hurt Max's stock much should he lose. Plus, the majority of lightweights could not cut weight quick enough in time to make the title fight for him. I think it's all those things. I think it's all those things. How many guys, like, just, if you're Sean Shelby, what are you thinking about? What's the mental checklist you're running down in a situation like this, right? Number one, who, who who's freaking available, right? And by available, not just, oh, I raise my hand, but remember, they cut DeMarquez Johnson when he took a fight on short notice and didn't make weight. They wouldn't cut Max, but the point being is they need somebody who can make the weight. And remember, I believe it was uh, Max's manager who said that they wanted the fight at 170, but the UFC was like, we got to have a title fight, so you got to make 155. So you have to make 155, and not even 156, 155. Number one, who can make 155? That's probably why they went to the featherweights, because for a natural featherweight, it's going to be a lot easier to make 155 on six days' notice than it is for a lightweight. Lightweights need time to get their weight down, weight down, and the featherweights do too, but it's a 10-pound allowance. That is what that says to me. They were thinking... Jesus Christ, someone's got to make this weight. And they can't lean on the towel here in, in New York anymore. So the featherweights make a lot of sense. Number two, as you noted, let's think about this. Who, who wins and who loses? What options do those give us? Max Holloway, if he wins, it creates some complications, as aforementioned, but it also creates some unique opportunities as well. There are positives and negatives to any kind of situation like this. So that's that's another one that they're probably um, considered to or three rather, if he doesn't get viciously mauled, which he might, uh, as anybody is likely to get um, versus Habib, then he can just go back to his division and it's no big deal, right? So, um, and I think they probably want an opportunity to say, hey, champ versus champ, sort of. It's not exactly that, but it's something kind of like that. And it gives them an opportunity to present it in that way. So, so. Probably all of those things, but the first and most important one is who on God's green earth can we get on six days notice 
to do this. I actually had uh, Paul Felder on my show yesterday, and I asked him, would you have taken it? And he said yes. Um, but he understands why a guy like Alvarez might not because Alvarez has not been – could he even make the weight, you know. Forget about the training camp. Could he even get down um, no one-pound allowance for the title? Holloway weight cut. Hi, Luke. I, like you, can't wait for this weekend's main event. However, hearing the George Lockhart interview where he said his this cut would be tied for the largest weight that I've ever done, this scared me a bit. And then he said, so there's going to be things that we, we got to do that are not going to be great for his performance. They're going to accelerate the fat-burning process. Um, I love Max, but this sent shivers down my spine as all I want is nothing more than 100% max versus Habib sadly on six days notice. We will not get that, but how much do you think the six days of the weight cut will hurt max? Probably a lot. Probably a lot. Uh, article you were writing about BJJ schools. Uh, hi, Luke. I think a, uh, a year or two ago you had a laptop stolen. Yes, I did. And it contained all of your work research on an article you were doing about BJJ schools. If I recall, it was something like an expose or something of that matter. It was about uh, Metamoris. And they were using, this isn't all since water under the bridge, but, uh, well, whatever you want to call it. But they were calling up BJJ schools and trying to get um, them to use their facilities for their, uh, what was the tournament they were doing? They were trying to find and recruit people at these various Metamoris tournaments. And there's a question about whether the people at those schools were uh, properly paid and compensated in ways they were told they would be for their services. Uh, will this ever come out? I lost everything. I lost every note, every interview, everything. And I'd have to start from scratch. So maybe, but unlikely. Raging Al versus Paul Felder. Thoughts on this fight? How do you see it going? I don't know. I don't know. A couple of these fights, I feel like I have an idea. Certainly in the main event, you can sort of see where it might come down to. This one's going to be interesting. Does Al strike with him? Because he can. Does Al try to wrestle with him? Because he feels like he has a competitive advantage there. Um, how many rounds does it? I don't really know. I don't really know. It's a very, very, very interesting fight. Very interesting fight. Um. I had Paul Felder on my show yesterday, and I asked him, what is it about you, Paul, that people don't understand or underappreciate? And he said it was as his technical savvy. You know, he gets a reputation a little bit. Not Now this is changing as he has grown into the analyst role. But he believed that there's a lot of people who sort of know him for savagery or viciousness or a willingness to exchange in the pocket. And it's not that he's trying to say those things aren't true, but that it often comes as an expense of comes at the expense of it forging an identity of someone who's got, you know, really polished skills and is a bit of a thinking man's fighter. And and um and he just feels like, you know, look, it's easy to remember big brawls, right? Someone has a big brawl when Max Holloway points at the mat in the Ricardo Lamas fight. People remember that. Do they remember the, you know, the L-stepping he does? You guys know what L-stepping is in footwork? Max Holloway does it sometimes. 
you know how he can switch stances for whole fights. He could fight one guy entirely southpaw, another guy entirely orthodox. Only nerds notice stuff like that, right? So, uh, no, that's partly it's just what sticks out in people's memory. Interestingly, I also asked him, "What is it about um, Ally Quinta that people don't really fully appreciate?" And his answer was how tough he is. Now, not not merely that tough in some kind of, well, he's a tough guy, like a generic sense. Not that. Everybody's tough, which he acknowledged. That's not it. What he meant was he has shown is a demonstrated ability, not that he's the perfect fighter, but that Iaquinta has a demonstrated ability to be in bad positions and find ways out, that he can he can get put through the ringer a little bit and, and come out on top, that when pushed in a fight, he can he can answer. And that Iquinta doesn't get enough credit for that. And uh, I thought that was pretty revealing. But in terms of how that fight's going to go, I don't know. I really, really don't know. Alternates to high-profile... Pardon me. <sighs> Alternates to high-profile fights. Should the UFC pay a fighter to serve as an alternate for a high-profile fight? Is this just unfeasible in most cases? And unfeasible in most cases, they do it in some. And they've done it historically, and I'm sure they would do it again. It's just it, it's just you know, it's complicated and expensive. But the answer is yes, they've done it before. And then, you know, if you get a guy ready for a camp in the one regard, then they have to get out of shape and then get in it again. They can get they can get they can get uh oh nice. They can get, um, God, what am I trying to say here? They can get injured in that camp and then they can't make money down the line. Like there's just a lot of complicating factors to it. Oh, let's just pay a guy to train and be ready. Well, what if he gets injured? Now, number one, you don't have a replacement. And now two, that guy's not ready down the line when you need him. And by the way, how's he going to get paid? So it, it's difficult. It's difficult. It, there's not a lot of easy, it, it sounds easy in theory. And then when you try to think about all the logistics and ways it can go wrong and, Certainly, this is a sport where things go wrong a lot. Um, you can get there. I think it would be better, this person writes, if there were single 15-minute and 25-minute rounds in MMA fights. No, thank you. The finishing rate would most likely go up since fighters can't get saved by the bell anymore. I don't buy that. And stamina becomes more of a factor. Great. Guys get tired more? Amazing. Every time a fighter gets saved by the bell, he basically gets a free stand-up for something that he didn't really earn. Putting the fight back on the feet, not always, but often, is a great way of getting the action going again. And I say that as somebody who has deep appreciation for jiu-jitsu and wrestling. Also, a fighter's ability to adapt during the fight depends less on his corner. I don't want that. I want adaptation. Higher finishing rate also means less chances for judges to screw up. What are your thoughts on this? I don't really agree with hardly any of it. We won't really know until they test that theory, but I have a... I have a I have a feeling that um, it would not really be all that great. Now, if we wanted to change the timing of rounds, uh, I'd be okay with that. If they wanted to experiment with it, you know, if an MMA promotion out there wants to experiment with it, that'd be interesting. But I don't really buy that you would get substantively more finishes at all. Or if you did, how the f finishes would look necessarily. Or, or you know, like you might get two guys and there's just this desperate claw to the finish where you get more finishes, but the finishes aren't dynamic. Not in favor of that either. I'm impressed with you with Gary Conan. Very. 
very like but here's the thing like why would you guys want to take out the things that refresh a fighter oh they'd get less rest how is that good i want them to get some rest because they come out refreshed at least for a bit of time oh let's take away stand-ups you mean action uh, again i'm not opposed to leaving fights on the ground and i do think there's a lot of bad referees who don't recognize situations that should be left and then ones that should be brought up. There's a bit of miscalculation there. I agree with you completely, but I've seen way too many fights go on these, you know, prolonged efforts to take someone down against the fence and the person defending the takedown doesn't go down, but they can't separate themselves. So they just sit there for hours on end and, and, and because the other person's moving and trying, they let it go. No, forget that. Stop that. Put them back. And let's have them strike it out a little bit. Uh, I'm not. I'm not in favor of somebody passing from you know from guard to side control and then getting stood up because they didn't get a submission in 30 seconds. That's crazy. But there's a lot of stalling along the fence line that happens that I absolutely cannot stand in modern MMA. And getting rid of that is a great idea. Oh well, they're working. Not they're not really working. They're just kind of holding. Uh, it hurts. It hurts me to watch that kind of thing. All right, uh, Rose versus Joanna as a pay-per-view main event. Usually when we talk about a card being saved, there isn't another title fight already on the card. Just curious, what do you think about Rose versus JJ would do as a pay-per-view main event? Not great. I made this point before. Joanna um, and JJ has a burgeoning hardcore fan base and as well-liked as well she should be. She's a tremendous talent, but I've noticed that people think she's some kind of pay-per-view star and she's not. And you'll recall, she's been on a lot of big cards, you know, Conor McGregor-type cards, uh, Ronda Rousey cards. And it hasn't necessarily translated into her being not necessarily a celebrated figure because she is, but a pay-per-view draw. To me, if they thought she was a real big draw that they could just rely on in this capacity to get the job done, they would have, and they didn't. And I think that says a lot. Finally, which current fighter on the strawweight roster do you think has the best chances to become a big attraction? Um, best chances. Maybe Rose. Still think Joanna with more time, maybe. Um, let me see. It's a good question. I'm not feeling good under this heat, y'all. Getting tore up out here. Strawweight. So you've got Rose, then you've got Joanna, Andrade, Gadelia, Kovalkiewicz, Torres, Esparza, Waterson, Herrig, Grasso, Casey. There's a lot of really interesting names there, but the ones who you thought could have been more have lost a lot. Um, and then you've got the ones who are winning who still just have a long way to go. It takes a long time to become a star. So, you know, so Rose and, and, and Joanna, they just need more time, especially Rose. She has a lot more time. But uh, I just don't think that they're that they're not ready for that kind of thing yet. Gary Tonin's debut. Hi, Luke. What did you think of Gary Tonin's MMA debut? I thought it was great. Who will be the most successful MMA... Who will have the most MMA successful career? Gary Tonin, Dylan Dennis, Bouchesha, Chrome Gracie, or Hadolfo? Jesus. Maybe Gary. Gary seemed... Well, we don't even know about Dylan Dennis, so we can just write him off the list. Bouchesha, great athlete. I don't know if he's going to make the leap. Crone has, to me, the best jiu-jitsu maybe in all of MMA. A guy who doesn't need a body lock to control you from the back is pretty special. Hadolfo, uh, just a physical specimen, a beast. 
but I don't know how enough we've seen enough of him. And Gary Tonin has just it, it seems like a game much more already ready. He's like MMA friendly already, you know, with his game versus you know building up the components to to get in the space there. Uh, this question got recommended, so we'll do it. Uh, Messi, Ronaldo, and the GOAT discussion. Fairest of days. I hope you don't mind a European football-related question. Well, I'm uniquely unqualified to answer it, but I'll give it my best. Assuming it gets the Rex. But after yesterday's Real-Juventus game, I saw the Ronaldo-GOAT discussion flare up again with the counter-arguments about Messi following directly behind. Yes, these are inevitable. However, I'm not asking who do you think is the greatest, especially since I feel like I can guess your Real-loving answer, but rather... Would you agree that such discussions are often misguided? So, for example, I don't think either man could have achieved the levels they have if there wasn't the rivalry between them, which one is better. And am I wrong in feeling that the GOAT discussion in sports, with rare exceptions such as Bolt or Phelps, often ignore that the greatest are usually defined in areas where you have multiple athletes contending for such titles? Yeah, probably. I also just don't, you know, it's like Ronaldo and Messi, I mean, look, the stats are pretty clear about this one, which a lot of, not a lot of Real fans are going to acknowledge. As a goal scorer, Messi is better, right, if that's what you want to measure. I think there are arguments you can make that Ronaldo is a more complete player and a more complete scorer in the sense of who scores in a number of different ways, right? I mean, you don't see Messi with a ton of aerial attacks from set pieces or corner kicks, right? Um, and Ronaldo has sort of refashioned himself in that way, especially of late. Yesterday was just, you know, incredible. But, like, as a goal scorer, you know, the, the stats are – the numbers are pretty clear, um, which a lot of Real fans don't want to acknowledge. Uh, but I don't mind it because I just feel like Ronaldo is uh, – and I was I was hating on him. Hey, no, I'm not exactly. I just thought at 33, what would what did he really have left? Jesus, how is he doing this at 33? I'll be honest, I didn't see that coming at all. Um, um, and if someone notes, Ronaldo's the better athlete. Yeah, he is the, clearly the better athlete, but it's sort of like a guy who can dribble through defenses and just sort of be nimble magic with his feet. Ronaldo's just not. Messi does that sort of in a very unique way, which I can appreciate. But I also feel like if you just watch Ronaldo through a season and you watch the ways in which he contributes to goal scoring, and yes, he poaches a lot of goals, as some people suggest. However, the way in which he is, the, the completeness of it all, I think is is pretty unique. Let's jump, if we can, uh, to Twitter. I'm at L Thomas News on Twitter. You can shoot me a question there, or you can use the hashtag chat wrappers, which is all explained on the post. All right. I'm going to give you as much of this as I can because I'm not feeling great. Let's go through these, shall we? Hi, Luke. What about GSPs and Rory McDonald's position that MMA should be a single round of 25 and extending no gloves? Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, no thanks. Uh, what's up with fighters' weights? McGregor seems to walk around at 170 but fights comfortably in the lightweight division. Holloway presumably is heavier than 170 since he asked for this fight to be a welterweight but fights at 145. What's happening? Guys can blow up in the offseason. People are comfortable sitting at different weights, uh, at, even if they sit in the same weight class. Um, yeah, here's what you call it. Danny Segura, Nino Torres is the true goat. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, Michael Chandler can get up to almost 190. 
you know, he fights at lightweight, but he's, you know, he makes weight no problem. So, you know, what do you want to say about that? It's just different guys are comfortable sitting in different positions, even when they fight in the same weight class. It really is. It's very, very, very um, fighter contingent, you know. Did you see the Artem Lobov and Habib Nurmagomedov altercation? I did. Uh, apparently, it had to do with something involving Artem gave an interview into a Russian media outlet, and he said something about Habib. I don't really know. They, they, it, it more or less seemed to get resolved, whatever they said to each other. Um, so I, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, other than it was kind of interesting, but not much. Is, uh, can you give my brother a shout-out? No. You can call a hip-hop station for that. Is Wonderboy mistakenly taking Darren Till lightly, or is he merely playing mind games? Again, I don't really pay much attention to fighter rhetoric. No doubt most of us are all excited by the prospect of new and upcomers, but how sure can we be of Till's capabilities and Wonderboy's apparent confidence against a new challenge? I, I would just humbly submit to you that Wonder Boy is enough of a professional to not leave that kind of thing to chance. With the consensus being that Connor will fight the winner of 223's main event, what do you do with Tony when he's good to go? Does he stay patient or try his luck again pursuing Nate? Dude, I feel so bad for him. I said, did you go to go to his Instagram page where he put up that note explaining how, you know, the fight was off and go look at the comments there. I mean, he got torched. He got absolutely torched, and I feel terrible for him. Let's let's recap here where Tony is in terms of position. Number one, he doesn't get paid, so all that money's gone. Number two, I'm sure the UFC isn't thrilled that he got injured again, by the way, at 34 years old. Number three, his belt was dissolved. They call it being stripped. It's not stripped. Strip means they strip it and give it to somebody else. They just dissolved it. It's just gone. So there's that. Uh, so he doesn't get paid. Probably doesn't put him in good graces. His belt is dissolved. And now as a consequence, he's not in the queue for the winner. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who suffered here more than anybody. We all talk about the fans. Oh, the fans suffered. And the fans did suffer, you know. And us in the media, we had all this stuff planned for Saturday. We suffer a little bit too, although I don't expect any tears for it. I'm just saying it sucks to you know have to redo things. But Tony Ferguson lost here in a way that is hard to overstate. And then, of course, his peers going out there and you know questioning his commitment and things like that. I feel I feel I feel very bad for Tony Ferguson because he doesn't deserve it, and it's just a tough spot. And he doesn't need people beating up on him. I'm sure before all of that, he recognized he lost out on something particularly great here. You know. So what do they do with him? I don't know. Is he going to have to face the winner of Kevin Lee versus Edson Barboza, two guys he's already beaten? I don't really know what they're going to do with him. That's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, Luke, if Max misses weight, can you really give a belt to Habib? God. I don't even want to think about it. Can Habib submit Max? Sure. Joanna is 30 and Rose is 25. How much do you think the natural advantages of youth uh, help Rose? Uh, can Joanna overcome those advantages? Um, I actually have a technique talk coming out about this still. So that very question 
is answered there. So I don't want to spoil it. That'll be out on Friday, as I understand it. Do you think you'll check out the new mask documentary? I watched it last night. Pretty good. Learned that he was a Marine vet. Yeah, I'll give it a look. What do you make of Zlatan's uh, MLS transition? That goal was incredible. That goal was incredible. Man. Someone says, make sure you upload. It's hilarious to me. People are like, MLS is on the come up. Or a 36-year-old, admittedly, sensational talent, who is clearly at the tail end of his career, just came in and, and whooped up on you scrubs. I think that's the better assessment here. MLS is hard to watch, man. I go to DC United games just because it's fun, but do you think Max has what it takes to keep the fight in front of the black lines? Another key consideration. I think it's the most important thing for his chances to win. Can Habib win this fight without using the cage? And does Max, without using the cage, I doubt it. He has to get the fight back there. Um, let me think. I, uh, I asked the guys at Fight Metric, do you keep track of where fights end? In other words, sort of positionally in the cage. And they don't. But I want you to pay attention on Saturday. See how many fights end right up against the fence or like or behind the two black lines. I would submit to you a lot. <clears throat> I might have to cut this off here pretty quickly. I'm not doing too good. I'm struggling under this. Uh, will Connor be at UFC 223? I doubt it. All right, let's do like one or two more of these. You need any interns this summer? Yeah, hit me up, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. All right, I'm not feeling great. I'm going to cut this off here because I'm struggling. Stay tuned to this channel. Keep it locked. Subscribe to the video or the, 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 the channel. Like the video. This podcast will go up on iTunes. The last one I couldn't because it was so jacked up. I'm sorry to end this early. I'm just not doing too good because these lights are cooking me and I can't open this door. Um, so thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Tons of coverage coming your way. Keep it locked. And until then, stay frosty.